What an honor it was for me to meet with Katie and Nathan about their daughter Claire, who has rhizomelic chondrodysplasia punctia, or RCDP for short, a very rare and fatal condition. Claire is the first person I've met with RCDP, and she is wonderful. Katie and Nathan's love and enthusiasm for their daughter is very evident, and their positive attitude is compelling. When did you find out that your daughter had a disability? So at my 20-week ultrasound, we found out Claire was a girl, and then they said, oh, her arms are measuring a little short. Why don't you come in for a follow-up four weeks later? So we come back four weeks later, and you know, we don't even think anything about it. First-time parents, you know, you're like, like whatever, you know, especially if the doctors are saying, oh, but I'm sure it's nothing. So we got 24 weeks, and they're like, yeah, you know, I'm really sorry, but she definitely has a form of skeletal dysplasia, which is dwarfism. So 24 weeks of pregnancy. So that's when you knew. What type of counseling did they give you? Honestly, it was a little lacking. They said there's something. They kind of, the ultrasound tech was in, and then we say, oh, we kind of had to, we, she was acting a little funny. So I was like, oh, something's kind of up. And then she disappeared and the doctor came back. With a big book. Oh yeah, with a big textbook. Um, and said, we, we have some form of skeletal dysplasia. It is most likely achondroplasia. Um, here's a printout about it. <laughs> yeah. And then kind of left us on our own for a little bit to be kind of take it in, but not a whole lot there. They, and they offered to set us up with counselors and things like that, but initial there wasn't. Yeah, it was more just like, here you go, here's some pieces of paper, sorry, enjoy looking it all up online yourself. Interesting. So what were your thoughts? Oh, whoa, that was, it was a pretty big blow. It was, it was more just shock there for a little while and then a lot of tears and kind of being together. Um, just trying to, just the paradigm shift of all of a sudden knowing everything was going to be different. So Sure. What were your thoughts, Katie? No, I totally agree with me. I feel like you get married, you have family, you have kids, you become grandparents, you know, life done. But then I feel like, you know, you find this and you're like, okay, everyone's on the same path, everyone's on the same path. And all of a sudden, I just felt like I had to take a hard right. Mm -hmm. And you're kind of like, what? Like, I wanted to be on that other path. Like, this is not what I planned. This is not what I expected, right? Like, you know, what, what, what did I do? Did I, and that goes through your mind. You think, what did I do? Did I eat something funny? You know, did I, I don't know, was I mean to someone? You, you like, it's totally irrational, but you go through those thoughts. You're like, am I getting punished? Is there, is there something I could have done to make this different? And I think it's just, it's really scary because we've never gone through before. Sure. You know, I, you know, I have some friends with special needs, but I think that's different from having a friend to being a parent. And when you don't know and something that's rare and something that people don't have, you know, I, I feel like even if they had said like, oh, your child has a Down syndrome, I would have been like, okay, well, I know what that is. As an achondroplasia, it's like, what? And then even on top of that, when they said, well, we think it's that, but we can't be 100% sure. So then of course you spend hours and hours looking up online and you're just kind of lost. I feel like, you're just in this big haze. You don't know what's going on. Sure. And you're just trying to get back to that path, but you just know you can't. Right. So she was born and she has equipment, obviously, that I'm seeing. <laughs> so why don't you tell me, uh, uh, Katie, what's what's some of the hard things or the challenges that you have in uh, in working with uh, Claire or, or taking care of Claire? Um, I gotta think about this for a second. I think a lot of things. I think it's kind of hard emotionally, you know? And I'm like, I don't, sorry. <laughs> I don't even know why I'm crying. 
but I think it can be hard to take care of a child that you know doesn't have long on this earth. And I think you just want to give them the best life they can. And you want to love them and you want to give them so much joy. And so I feel like when we found out what Claire had, when we found out she had um, this terminal dwarfism, um, this rhizomelic chondroplasia punctata, my first thought wasn't even like, oh, she's disabled and she has a learning disability or a physical disability. It was, you know, we just don't have that long with her. So it's definitely a really heavy emotional toll, but I don't, I would never trade it for anything. Like, I feel like if I put all my trials in a basket of my whole life, I would pick Claire every time because she's not a trial. She's just a great joy. And yes, you know, it's hard, you know, medical things that I've learned, placing NG tubes and suction machines and feeding. But in the end, like, that doesn't matter. In fact, I think Nate and I even like talked once and we were like, you know, sometimes I forget kids don't eat through feeding tubes and I forget that they don't need suction machines because that's just our normal. Our normal is just taking care of Claire that way and that's fine. And I would take care of her a hundred more years if, you know, I don't care much medical stuff, but it's definitely, I think, a more emotional toll than anything. And I mean, you always hear like comparison is like the thief of joy. And I think that's true. You know, it can be hard. My friends have kids around the same age as Claire and there's an obvious difference. But, you know, like I said, you just, you would never trade it. I don't think people whose kids are different would ever say, oh yeah, I would, I would give up my kid in a second. I would trade that for the world. So. So Nathan, what's, what's the hard part for you? What's been the hard part for you? Other than, as Katie already mentioned, the emotional weight, just knowing that there's something that when it happens, it's going to crush you and not knowing if you're going to be able to come back from it. That's, that's obviously the big one is not knowing. I don't know how I'll, how I'll cope with it, but I try not to think about it just because otherwise I can't function and I start going to a dark place and I don't want to be in a dark place because I want to enjoy her now. So her condition is a, is a fatal condition now. It is. What's, what's the typical lifespan? 40% of the children with her condition don't make it to their first year. Um, very, very, very few make it to like the age of 10. So like a, a child who lives five years is considered like a long-term survivor. Sure, okay. So Katie, describe for me kind of your daily routine. Yeah. Uh, is it a good day? Is she okay in the morning? Is that what? <laughs> just a typical, no, no, a typical day. Let me clarify that. <laughs> right, because some days if she's already kind of like upset, you know, that throws the whole day off. You know, wake up, Nate goes to work, and I have my alarm set about 10 minutes before her feed. So, you know, I'm groggily getting out of bed, go to the bathroom, you know, take care of all that me stuff I need to take care of in the morning. Go downstairs, I will mix her formula, I'll bring it upstairs, and I will prepare her feeding bag and her pump and all that. And usually, if I'm lucky, she's still asleep by the time I'm starting it, you know. So, you know, I'll, I'll set that up, I'll hook her up, and then if she's still asleep, I'll go grab breakfast, come upstairs, and she's usually really upset already, and she's scared to wake up. And she, her condition, she produces a lot of uh, secretions, just crazy, crazy amount of secretions. So we have our big suction machine. So I'll spend like 10 minutes just suctioning around. Just, you cannot believe how many boogers this kid produces. It's just 
crazy, just everywhere and spitting. So I take her over crib and I'll wash her down because she doesn't have much mobility and she tends to get really sweaty at night. So I'll make sure I get in, you know, like her armpits and under her legs, like places she's not really moving because it's just build up, you know. So I make sure she's clean and get her dressed for the day. And, you know, we come downstairs and she'll usually like nap for a little bit, which is great because then I can get dressed. And again, I think it's important that you need to take care of yourself for a minute. And then we'll start her next feed and during her next feed we'll have playtime and she'll read her stories and I'll read her books and then um, we'll do at-home physical therapy for the next hour and a half and because I can do it at my home it can like be spaced out versus when we go to therapy we can do, we do all the really hardcore stuff in an hour and she's exhausted here you know so I stretch her out and we work on her fingers and you know her movement and we roll her around and we make her neck move side to side because she just does not have much mobility at all so we'll do that and maybe she'll nap again maybe not it's, that's where the tricky part comes in. I feel like any mom doesn't know when their kids are always gonna nap. And that's just, I think, just the joy of unpredictable children. So we'll do that and then, and why this day is going on, we're like suctioning, we're suctioning, we're suctioning, we're feeding, we're um, making sure everything's okay. And I'll usually call, you know, on occasion a doctor or supplies to be reordered for her stuff. Um, I'll make sure that's all clean and nice. And I feel like I'm cleaning a lot because with a medically fragile child, you are like, just, you, you gotta make sure your house is clean because you just don't want to bring in any germs or anything. So you make sure it's clean, nice. I'm like, oh my gosh, now I'm like, what do I do all day? I know I'm busy all day, but now saying it out loud makes me feel like I don't do anything all day. On a rare occasion, you get a walk. But that's a rare hard. occasion, we get a walk, but it's been, it, the weather's starting to get nice, so we can like venture outside, but in the winter, we just sure. kept her outside. We have gorgeous weather recently. And you are busy all day. <laughs> I know. Well, it's like, that's things I'm like, well, because you really can't be left alone. Sure. You know, and like you're going to the bathroom with the door open because just in case I hear her like coughing or gagging and you gotta go, you gotta take care of that. And um, you know, so you take care of that and then you gotta get dinner ready and maybe at some point remember to eat for yourself. And that, no, that often happens. It'll be like three o'clock. I'm like, wow, I did not eat lunch. I, I just, I missed it. I don't even know how that happened. More physical therapy, laundry, cleaning the gun, taking care of bills. Man, my day is so boring. I like need to find activity or something in there. I'm like listening out loud. I'm like, oh my gosh. Like I love being with her, but I'm like, that just sounds so repetitive. <laughs> it actually sounds pretty normal with a with a child that has that's medically fragile. <laughs> so Nathan, uh, let me ask you this. Um, maybe an easier question. What are the joys? Oh, that's that's way easy. It's just holding her and trying to get her to smile or laugh. She's definitely in the last few months, she's much more quick to give a smile than she was before. So playing with her is definitely the best, so. it's great. How about for you? What's your joys? I think with Nate, I think just like watching her grow, it's like been crazy. Like I knew that I would like love to see my kid grow, but it's like for a child who has like a lot of disabilities, like just seeing small things they do is like monumental and brings you so much happiness. So she was born um, with cataracts in both eyes and when we got them removed and just like seeing her see clearly for the first time was like really joyful and even now I love seeing her like looking and playing and you know like I'll put on a little sensory show for her and she's I love seeing her eyes light up and I love her laughing at us and I love it I just and I just I just love being with her and I, I love making memories with her I have to chime in one more is 
I, one of her, I, from what Katie tells me, is her favorite sleeping place is when she snuggled up on my chest. It's so true. I love it when she takes a little nap on my chest and I just kind of stroke her head and we don't do much, maybe we'll watch TV or something like that, but I love having her just snuggled up on me, so. Sure. So Katie, tell me, what impact has her life had on your extended family? I, so after Claire was born, I remember my sister said something that I thought was like, wow, that's exactly how I feel. And she said, you know, now that Claire's born and, you know, she has all these problems and, you know, stuff, she goes, I realize how much things don't matter. And she didn't mean that in life didn't matter, but she meant, I just realize how much, you know, Instagram doesn't matter. Facebook doesn't matter. It doesn't matter that my house is perfectly clean. She's like, I just realized what actually makes you happy in life. And I think, you know, that's, been a big one and like yeah I think you know certain members of the family were a little uncomfortable with Claire's condition they're a little standoffish a little you know I don't want to be around a child who's terminally ill and I don't want to be around a... not because they didn't love Claire I think they just didn't know how to react and they didn't know all these things and I remember we gotten letters and but letters of some people and it was shocking you know how many people were like oh I'm sorry not oh congratulations you just had this baby so I think that was you know, I feel like you got people in both camps. You got people that were kind of uncomfortable and kind of standoffish and didn't know what to say and what to do. And then you had people who were totally cool with it and were happy for you and no, they didn't care. How about your side, Nathan? It was amazing how, not necessarily what they did, but how my mood would impact how I interpret something. Or something, just a kind gesture of, I was like, you know, we're, you know, we're sorry that's unfortunate that happened. One day you'd be like, oh, you know, obviously everyone was trying to do it with love, but some days you'd be, I don't really want your pity. I just want to be able to, you know, this is how it is. And other days it would be like, oh, well, thank you very much. Like, it was fine. But a lot of the time was how I was doing on that day. Some days it was just very easy to explain everything going on. And other days it was, it was just emotionally difficult to explain it. And it was, especially in the beginning, it was a much more of a roller coaster of how I would, interact with the world than it is now. Now it's a little bit more stable and you know, there's still ups and downs, but they, you know, for the most part took it well. Some definitely you could tell were you know, a little at odds with it, not knowing how to, you could tell they were walking on ice and they knew they were walking on ice and they were aware of it. And then others were just, whether they were going to, you know, you know, smash through the ice or not, they didn't care. They were just going to do it. And ultimately sometimes that was, that's who they are. And that was actually almost a little easier as, them staying true to their character than trying to feel like they're walking on ice or on eggshells all the time. Sure. So I, I'm wondering if I came to you and at my 20 week pregnancy had a similar diagnosis as your daughter, what advice would you give me? It's gonna be okay. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like it's, it's gonna be hard, but it's gonna be okay. You'll, there'll be a lot of hardships, but there's gonna be so many joys that just, you know, enjoy what you have now and it'll work out. Just keep going. Yeah, no, I, yeah, I totally agree. I think if, yeah, if I go back to myself or some of the diagnosis, just say, I think you, like, you probably think this matters a lot right now. And in some respects it does, but in some ways it doesn't. You're welcoming a child into this world who is loved and whose life matters, so, yeah, things are going to be a little different and things are going to be scary, but you're not going to love your child any less. And that was something 
that for me, like I had struggled with, not that I thought I wasn't gonna love Claire, but I honestly was thought, oh my gosh, is my child gonna have this disability and is all I'm gonna see their disability? Am I gonna see the disability first and the child second? And that doesn't happen. And I wish I could go back and tell myself that of like, you'll have a child who has a disability and that's it. Like you'll forget some days and it doesn't matter because Claire is Claire. She doesn't, you know, it doesn't matter. I wish I could go back and tell myself that or tell someone who has the same condition of, you were gonna have such a great time. You know, just, they'll be your whole world. Claire was diagnosed with rhizomelic chondrodysplasia punctia at 24 weeks, and their doctor apologized to Katie and Nathan for not finding it out sooner so they could have decided to abort Claire, something Katie and Nathan would have not opted for anyway, and a horrifying vision now to them as they love and care for their precious little girl.